All right, you may uh, open your Bible to Luke chapter 17. Today, we're actually we're going to um, skip, just for this Sunday, verses 1 to 10. We'll come back to those next Sunday. We'll look today at verses 11 to 19. And the reason for that is because this is Thanksgiving season. And um, do you have written down when I preach this, Brenda? Just out of curiosity, verse... Brenda keeps track of these things and now and the, but I knew, I knew that I had preached this back then. I just wanted to see if you knew too. Um, yeah, I preached this several years ago at Thanksgiving time. So such a fitting passage for, for the Thanksgiving season. When we are talking about thanklessness, we are talking about one of the primal sins of the human heart and one of the primal sins of our history. Just as Adam and Eve in the garden were ungrateful for paradise, for perfection of life and the presence of God and every blessing that they could imagine, yet they were unthankful for the goodness of God and believed the devil's lie that God was withholding blessing from them. So when we talk about this sin, we're talking about one of the primal sins, And then we must also think of the cost of this sin. The cost of this sin is that Adam and Eve were cast from the garden. They were barred from the presence of God, cut off from his fellowship. And so they became, in a sense, a lot, well, I should say, the ten men that we're going to read about today became a lot like Adam and Eve. Because they lived this experience every day of their lives. They were lepers. They were cut off from the community. They were cut off from worship. They were absolutely hopeless, living a life of exile. And so the cost of sin was pictured in their lives and felt in all of their experience. And then Jesus came. And changed everything for them. One man of the ten gave him thanks. So as we read this and as we think through this passage, one of the things that we're going to consider together is, are we one of the nine or are we of the one? Are we ungrateful for what God has done for us in Jesus? Or do we fall at Jesus' feet? And sing the praises of God. Let's read this passage together. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, Rise and go your way. 
Your faith has made you well. George Herbert, famous poet, wrote, Thou that has given so much to me, give one thing more, a grateful heart. Not thankful when it pleases me, as if thy blessings had spare days, but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise. To be thankful as we ought to be thankful, we don't need a new set of circumstances. We don't need to arrive at the greener grass. We don't need a new set of circumstances. We simply need, I say simply, but miraculously, supernaturally, we need a new set of eyes. Not new circumstances, but new eyes so that we may see what we have from God in Jesus, His Son. Because God has not spared His blessing from us. I mean, it's absolutely absurd, really, when you think about it, that Adam and Eve in the garden would believe in that perfection that God was withholding from them. Again, this is one of our primal sins. But God has not spared His blessing from our lives. He has not spared any blessing. So how can we spare our praise? That's what George Herbert was saying. He's saying, give me one thing more. Of all that you have given me, give me one thing more. Give me that grateful heart. I'm going to read it again. Not thankful when it pleases me, as if thy blessings had spare days, like God would hold back something here and there. God would spare His blessing, restrain it, but give me a heart that is just as steady as your blessing so that it pulses with praise. It beats with praise for God. Because this is what God has done for us. He didn't spare His own Son. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. And Paul's conclusion in Romans 8 is, and how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has not spared blessing. How can we spare our praise? When we talk about the greatest blessing of all, we're really talking about the gospel. That's the great salvation that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. If you look back down at your text, look at verse 14. That's where the miracle happens. That's where the salvation for these ten lepers happens. That's a small salvation. Not for them. It was, you know, it was a great thing. But really, compared to the great salvation that Jesus was going to accomplish in Jerusalem for all the people of God, this was a small salvation. It's in the lives of these ten men, in their leprous experience, that we see our own sin condition. We see what sin cost us much more than we would like to admit. Their experience is a reflection of our hearts and our experience. So we don't need just small experiences because we're, we're not talking about physical need when we talk about a leprous condition that is similar to our own. We're talking about our spiritual need. 
we need that so great salvation. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, as it says in verse 11, to accomplish just that. And that's why we should praise him every day of our lives. Meditate upon the gospel. Someone mentioned this morning in Sunday school how quickly we forget the good news of Jesus. We need to reflect on it constantly together and on our own, in our, our own families. We need to reflect on the good news of Jesus so that our hearts will give Him the praise that He is worthy of. Um, as it says in verse 11, or 12, so he's on his way to Jerusalem, and as he entered a village, verse 12, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Uh, by now it might be familiar, but let me remind you about the, the peril of leprosy in that day. In the biblical time, in the Old and New Testament eras, there were there was a variety of skin conditions that all got labeled leprosy. And they could be, you know, just on the surface, not severe, and just a condition that would have to run its course. Or there could be the severe, deeper, chronic kind. In either case, the victim of these skin conditions collectively known as leprosy would be put out of the community because they were unclean. They had this condition that kept them from the community of worship until it cleared up. And when it looked like they were cleared up, they would go to the priest, who was the public health inspector of the day, and he would declare them to be still unclean or clean, in which they could be restored to the community. Well, that's, that's you know, for someone who had just the, the slight kind that would just have to run its course. It's a big deal to be put out of the community for a week, to have to live outside the camp or whatever, uh, to announce to anybody that encountered you that you were unclean. It's a big deal. You can imagine the shame of that and so on. But for someone who had the severe kind, who had the chronic illness, this person is effectively barred from effectively everything for all of their lives. They are exiled. And I think that it's quite clear that that's the state of these ten men who encountered Jesus as he's on his way to Jerusalem. There's a couple of things that suggest this. For one, they're together, they're banded together in a community. And if you just thought, ah, it's just a little blemish, it's going to go away in no time, you're not going to go to other lepers for support and for help. And also the text is clear that they keep their distance um, like they are calling to him from a ways away, which means that they have the chronic severe kind that would have been uh, potentially contagious. So just imagine yourself one of these lepers for a moment. You know, you're going through life as things are normal. You take everything for granted. You go to, to work every day. You come home to your family. You attend Lord's Day worship and so on. And then all of a sudden one day, let's say on your arm somewhere, you notice a little white blemish. And you think, I don't remember that being there. Hmm. And you recall the instruction of the priest 
He spent a lot of time on this about leprosy. And you think, oh no, I need to keep this hidden. And so perhaps for a while you're able to cover it up and just continue to function. But then one day you notice a spot on your face and you can't keep that hidden up. People notice and you must go to the priest and your worst fear is diagnosed. You actually have leprosy. Now you have to leave the community. Hopefully this is something that's just, you know, on the surface will quickly run its course. But it doesn't. It begins to spread. The wounds begin to fester. It begins to disfigure your appearance. And what you would long to cover up, you can't. And it's not, it's not just that you, you can't cover it up, but you actually have to announce it to everybody that's within, you know, hearing distance. You have to tell them that you are unclean. Unclean. That's what the law requires of you. You have to tell everybody the thing that will make them dread you. So much for normalcy in your life. Eventually, you I mean, it doesn't take you long before you realize that everything that was good, you did take for granted. Now, if you could just have a normal handshake with another individual, a normal conversation, or just get a normal look. But that's never going to be the case. Because the law requires that you wear tattered rags and your hair hangs down loose and that your your appearance from a distance be recognizable as someone who has the disease. It says, And the leper shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now this uncleanness is a skin condition, not a sin condition. But there was no disease in all of that time that pictured sin and its cost like leprosy did. Because this is who we are apart from the mercy of our Lord Jesus. We're cut off. We're barred. We're in exile. Think of Adam and Eve after their sentence was carried out and they were put out of the garden. And what did God put guarding the way to the tree of life? The flaming sword which turned every which way saying, you're out now. You can't come in. Or at the the tabernacle first and then the temple, the thick veil which kept access out from the glory of God and said, you can't come in. Or just think even of what the Bible says in Revelation. Nothing unclean will enter the holy city of God. This is who we are apart from Jesus. And leprosy pictures it, that we are exiles cut off from God. So these lepers, this is, this is their everyday. They, they feel this in every way. They feel it physically. They feel it socially. They feel it spiritually because they can't attend community worship any longer. They can't attend to sacrifices or anything. They can't draw near, anywhere near, 
And so God, in his arrangement, brings Jesus along their path. They see him. They know of him. They realize here is a hope for us. The Bible says in verse 13, they lifted up their voices and cried, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Here is the helper of the helpless. Here is the one who can make the difference, who can bring deliverance. In verse 14, it says, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. You remember earlier in um, in Luke when Jesus encountered another leper who was in very bad shape? And that leper said to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said to him, I am willing. Be clean. Here he doesn't even say that. It's not that Jesus has to recite certain words in order to effect their cleansing. He simply tells them, go and show yourselves to the priests. He gives them a command. And in the presence of that command, at the heart of it, there is a promise. You will be clean. In fact, you will be so clean that you could encounter some priest who has OCD and, you know, examines you head to foot, head to toe, and for any little blemish whatsoever, the cleanness that I will give you will stand up to the greatest scrutiny. So they believe the power of his word. And as they went, it says at the end of verse 14, they were cleansed. We, we haven't been here in a, a while. But this is what we were concentrating on for the first several chapters of Luke's Gospel. The astonishing authority of the Word of Jesus. That His Word works wonders. That what He says does. What He says does. Let's take up in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. We don't have time to go over um, how much the Samaritans were hated and why, but just know that it's like this man of these ten, he was twice removed. Not only because of his leprosy, but also because of his bloodline. He is twice removed. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Again, on multiple levels, this man is out because he's a leper and because he's a Samaritan. And now he realizes when he is cleansed, that he has found all his salvation. When they cried out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us, what did they want from him? They wanted cleansing for their skin condition. They wanted their ceremonial status changed from unclean to clean, from unacceptable to acceptable, unfit to fit. But now he realizes in Christ, he has it all. Everything he needs. 
salvation on every level, salvation in every realm. Not only physical healing, not only social healing, but in Christ he may find spiritual healing. However far you have wandered from God, Jesus can bring you all the way home. No matter how desperate and hopeless your condition, no matter how deep your treachery against God, Jesus can give you all the salvation you need. He can bring you all the way home to God. Ten men had met Jesus, but only one of them comes to Him. Ten had lifted up their voices, crying out for mercy. And of those ten, now only one remains, shouting the praises of God. Ten had wanted the gift of mercy. Only one of them truly wants the giver. So are you of the nine or are you of the one? What do you want Christ for? What are you trusting in Jesus for? Do you want only the benefits or do you want Christ himself It is my prayer that you you are of such a heart and mind that you refuse to settle for anything less than Jesus himself. Jesus is all your salvation. We have said it over and over and over again. But I think it needs to be said again and again to remind us of how easily deceived we are. You will never escape hell if escape is all that you seek. You will never have the true healing if healing is all you seek. And you will never see the comforts of heaven if comfort is all that you're after. See, it's not just, look at, look, consider these ten men. Who trusts in Jesus of the ten? All of them. They all trust in Jesus. That's why they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They trust Him for mercy. But only one of them is saved. In fact, we'll cover that verse in just a moment. Only one of them is saved. So it's not just a matter of trusting in Jesus, but what you trust in Jesus for. Jesus, the righteous, suffered in the place of the unrighteous so that he might bring us back to God. That's our salvation, that we are brought all the way home, all the way back to God. So we're not just looking for healing that's temporal and physical. We're not just looking for the comforts of heaven. We want Christ himself. Again, it's not just a matter of trusting in Jesus, but what are you trusting in Jesus for? What do you want? Ten men met Jesus, but of them only one truly comes to him. 
Ten men in the beginning kept their distance. But at the end, it's only one that falls at Christ's feet. And ten in the beginning cried out for mercy, but of them only one shouts his praises. Ten men were cleansed, but only one man is saved. Look at verse 19. And Jesus said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And if you're using the English Standard Version as I am, you may have a footnote in there, which is actually what I believe the the main body of text should reflect. That your faith has saved you. The cleansing that Jesus had given to the nine was for their skin condition, not their sin condition. What he had changed for, for the all ten in the beginning was their ceremonial status, not their hearts. So when this one comes back to Jesus and, and sings the praises of God, that is, he comes to God in Christ, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And the word that he uses, that's translated in the main body of text as well, is actually the word saved. And so I don't take exception very often to the English Standard Translation, but I do this time. Because it should say, your faith has saved you. Showing the clear difference between what the the nine had received only and what this one, the Samaritan, had received. Not just cleansing. You know, on their way, they were cleansed, but he has been saved. This is what the man needs. This is what we all need. We need to be saved. We could, we, we think about, you know, the, the desperation of his condition. How hopeless he was. What it would have been like to live as an exile. But the truth is, I think, and I don't think we appreciate this as we ought to, that this man is in a very advantageous place for his soul. I mean, he's in the worst possible spot. And no one wants to be in that horrible spot. You know, between the rock and a hard place. No way out. Hopeless. He can't do a thing. I mean, he's beyond the assistance of any physician or his community. He has no means whatsoever to acquire wealth. He's out. He's completely out. Cut off. But being in that horrible place, on every level, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of it, He's in a very advantageous place for his soul. Because there's only one hope left. And it's the hope that God sends to him in the person of his son. And now he may find all of his salvation. Jesus came and did for him all that he needed. Do you see... This is, this is one thing I really want you to get from this text. Do you see how normal gratitude is? I mean, what looks normal here in this scenario? The ingratitude or the gratitude? I mean, the, the, the ungrateful heart looks absurd. How could these guys who had just been com- made completely well, physically speaking, of course, and could go back to to normalcy and to life and to home and work and all of that, how could they just keep going? 
How could they not give Jesus thanks? How could they go on their way and not seek Him and not want to become one of His followers? Not come to God in Him? That's the absurd thing. And it's not just the case for them. It's that That's the case for you and I too. That ingratitude is outrageous. It's really absurd. I think we can see it in them. That's pretty, it's pretty clear. Can we see that in us too? How ridiculous it is not to have hearts that pulse with the praise of God. Someone is going to get credit for what you have been blessed with. Just think about this past week and all the happinesses you had. I'm sure that you had some stresses and you may have had some severe stresses or burdens this past week, but think of all the happinesses, all the blessings that you experienced. The time with family, assuming you like your family, you know, it was good. The food, the beautiful days, the health that you had. Who got credit for it? I mean, I think that it's a lot of time buried down deep in our subconscious that we we owe these things um, to someone, to, to something. But I don't know. We act like this is just the way that life is, that this is what we deserve. We take We take it for granted, like we say. So if someone is getting credit, if it's just the way life is, it sounds like, well, this is just the fates or chance or karma or ourselves. Is this the God we praise or the gods we praise? Chance, fates, karma, ourselves? Or do we give thanks to God who is over all and who is kind? The the sovereign king who loves us and truly cares for our lives to the extent, the degree that he would give up his son that we might have life in him. You think about the power of Jesus here. The astonishing authority of his word. There is nothing that is not at his beck and call. Nothing. I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning. I've said it several times here. You know, when, when the Lord speaks, when the Lord speaks his creative word, what doesn't exist obeys him and comes into being. And even where there is death, when God speaks his resurrection word, what is dead, obeys and returns to life. This is what we're seeing here. The astonishing authority of His Word. And just think that He made you in your spiritually leprous condition. He made you the object of His attention. And He made you the object even of His affection. And He spoke His sovereign New heart creating, dead heart resurrecting word. 
He spoke His Word into your life. And He said, dead heart, dry bones, hear the Word of the Lord. In my Son, by my Spirit, live. Live. You will be mine, and I will be yours forever. Tell me that is not reason for thanksgiving and for praise. Doesn't it make you frustrated with your own heart? Does me. I just think, I'm so, so stupid. How could I be so foolish? You know, narrow-minded, short-sighted, dull, all the rest. That God would do this for me. And I would stand in His grace. That's my, that's my life. It's in grace. I have eternal life now. I'm redeemed already. I'm justified in the presence of God. I'm adopted into His family. I am His child. I belong to Him. I am His heir. I have the life of God. His steadfast love is forever mine. How can I not live gratefully to God? It's true God requires so much of you and me. We, we were looking in recent weeks about giving to the poor. Giving of our wealth and our possessions. The passage that we just skipped requires a lot of us for faithful discipleship. Persevering faith and forgiveness and so on. God requires a lot. But His first word to us is not do, it's done. It's not law, it's gospel. That's His first word. He gives us life. He gives us His Son. He pours into us forever His Spirit. So that as He requires we obey His commandments, it's not slavishly that we obey. It's not, I force myself to lift this heavy burden of commandment to fulfill God's Word. But I have His life. And out of a heart full of praise to God, I give. It's simply the overflow of His life in me that I serve. And I live the life of a disciple. And it's just, it should be normal. Again, because the nine just look dumb. They look so foolish. And the one who returns and gives God thanks, that's what makes sense. So you and I, we don't need a new set of circumstances to live lives of gratitude to God. We just need that new set of eyes that will recognize every day who God is and His great love for us in Jesus, His Son. Let's pray. Father, first of all, I want to thank You that Jesus died for our unthankful hearts. Even the penalty of this sin is paid for. 
Even for this, we are washed clean by the blood of your Son. And we're with you. You are with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You have made us your own forever, and there's no taking it back. We are in Christ. We belong to you. So for that, we rejoice and we praise you. And we're asking, Father, for more. We're asking that you would give us grateful hearts. If our hearts would would change and be thankful as we ought to be, so much in our lives would change. I know that we would have greater peace. We would have a deeper faith. We would be more bold and confident in our relationship with you in, and in our witness to what you have done before the world. Lord, give us grateful hearts. Help us, Lord, to recall constantly how undeserving we are, what we have been saved from, and the good news of Jesus, and in him what we have been saved to. Help us to remember. Help us, Lord, to remind each other and give us grateful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.